This is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am Baalzaman, heart of the dark. The lowly mortal who creates this content has read the series cover to cover, book to book, many, many times. He will be discussing everything he can think of, irrelevant, relevant, regardless. So... Take heed of my warning. If you have not read the series all the way through and spoil something for yourself, well, who is to blame, listener? Not I. Not I. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Gleeman Radio. I'm your host, Tom, and I don't think I have to tell you why I'm so excited to start Episode 5 of the Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. I don't think I have to tell you. It's because the Eye of the World Chapter 4, the Gleeman, because Tom Marilyn is being introduced, people, and I can barely speak. I record my intro before I read slash listen to the chapter, and I don't want to waste more time than I have to because I want to see Tom. I want to see it. I love Tom Marilyn so much. He is the best. So last time on the Wheel of Time, uh, Padon Fane showed up being a real jerk. Uh, he was enjoying spreading this awful news that caused the Two Rivers folk, um, upset. And he was taken away by the village council to be questioned, uh, about what he knew and, uh, about what the council needed to do about it. So that leads Matt, Rand, and Perrin to talk about, well, the dragon. To talk about everything that Fane talked about. And this leads to some amusing conversations, as well as the introduction of Nynaeve and Egwene, who both think that they need to be talking about something else, that this is not a acceptable conversation topic. So after learning why they're talking about the dragon and everything, uh, Nynaeve leaves. She's like, I gotta make sure Padon Fane is being questioned correctly because the village council is probably asking all the wrong questions. So she goes to gather the women's circle and question Padon Fane herself, leaving Egwene uh, there with Rand and Matt and Perrin running off, grinning and uh, abandoning Rand with her for her to give him a hard time. Yeah, the chapter ends with Tom actually rushing out of the inn like he's being chased, and it's probably being by Nynaeve. So yeah, I don't wanna, I don't, I don't wanna keep just doing this right now. I wanna go straight into chapter four, the Gleeman. I am super excited, so we're gonna do that right now. You want stories? Tom Maryland declaimed. I have stories, and I'll give them to you. I'll make them come alive before your eyes. A blue ball joined the others from somewhere, then a green one and a yellow. Tales of great wars and great heroes for the men and boys. For the women and girls, the entire Aptaragine cycle. Tales of Arthur Pendrag, Tanriol, Arthur Hawkwing, Arthur the High King, who once ruled all the lands from the Aeel Waste to the Arith Ocean, and even beyond. There is no getting around it, folks. This chapter was great. Oh, this was this was good. This was just what I needed today. Tom Marilyn is introduced. He's considered really lean, but he should be tall. But there's a slump in his shoulders. Uh, but he's unnaturally spry for some of the, someone of his age. And they're talking about his patch-covered cloak and his 
thick white mustaches and a face like a gnarled oak. And that, that doesn't seem very nice, does it? A face like a gnarled oak. I, I just assume that means he's kind of old and uh, uh, lined and maybe looking a bit weathered in the face, you know, maybe got the tan. Uh, you know, he sleeps in hedges. He's admitted himself more than once. You know, so no sun protection, uh, living in the outdoors a lot. Yeah, I bet Tom wouldn't be looking at his best. Don't, don't, like, oh, oh, it just seems so mean. <laughs> I don't know. When I think of Tom Marilyn, I think of the best Gleeman slash court bard that is introduced in the entire series. I mean, we meet Asmodian later trying to be a Gleeman and not being anywhere near as good as Tom, and he he gave his immortal soul for music, so <laughs> I don't know. I, I imagine Tom, and I imagine, you know, the guy who uh, was Mor Morgaze's lover, who was uh, dating this 19, 20-year-old apprentice Gleeman, who was uh, caught Moraine's interest. I don't know. The gnarled comment got me off guard, and I shouldn't have. I knew he was an old man. Uh, we learn that kind of his patch-colored cloak, not colored cloak, his patch cloak uh, is kind of a symbol of his office as a gleeman. Uh, they describe, uh, Rand thought that the way Bran Alvere described the cloak in an earlier chapter that, you know, since it was covered in all these patches, that it must be thin or raggedy or something. But no, he's thinking it's quite thick, it's quite good, warm. Uh, and that the patches must be a form of decoration, which he is correct. Uh, he's just, uh, Tom is described as having this really big coat with baggy sleeves and big pockets, all obviously for his sleight of hand and his parlor tricks that get him a lot of, get him a lot of good stuff. Uh, he has blue eyes, uh, which is commented on from Rand especially because apparently Tom is the first light-eyed person he had met other than himself, which confuses me because doesn't Lan have blue eyes? Did he not see Lan's eyes uh, in Chapter 2? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, but regardless, he's taken away because Lan has... Uh, not Lan. Lan does have blue eyes, but Tom Marilyn has bright blue eyes, and he'd never seen light eyes before. So... Uh, apparently the Coplins used to tease Rand about his light-colored eyes. Sounds like something the Congers and Coplins would do. Uh, that is, until Rand knocked them on their ass. So we got that fun little story. Um, and honestly, I love how uh, Tom comes out and his first thing is complaining. His voice is deep, louder than you'd expect, but not in a bad way, and resonant even in the outdoors. And he comes out complaining, uh, which totally seems to uh, give direct evidence of why he ends up getting, uh, getting on best with Matt later on in the series, doesn't it? Uh, he comes out complaining about Nynaeve. Uh, there was a miscommun miscommunication in the village before he starts complaining about that, you know, the villagers told him he could have made it here by sundown, but that was only if he'd left well before noon. So by the time he'd arrived, arrived, raveled, what is wrong with me? <laughs> by the time he had arrived, chilled to the bone, windy and cold, uh, the innkeepers acting like this was a big inconvenience. Uh, and by the time he wakes up and comes down to the common room this morning for a smoke and a cup of brandy, 
everyone's looking at him. I love this quote. Everyone's looking at him like he's their least favorite brother-in-law and looking to borrow money. Oh, that cannot be a friendly look. Holy crap. And then uh, Sen Bui comes in harassing him about what stories he can and can't tell before Nynaeve yells at him to get out. And when she doesn't, he doesn't move quick enough, he, he, she brandishes her stick at him like he's going to hit him. And from what we know of Nynaeve, yeah, he prob she probably would have switched the gleam in if he, did, if, if he wasn't quick enough. Which, again, very funny. Tom is introduced uh, complaining and orating about it, and it's funny, and he's complaining about Nynaeve, and the young folks actually kind of gather to explain. They're like, well, we're sorry, Master Gleeman. Uh, the pot on Fane showed up, and there's news, and that was our wisdom, and he's like, what? I thought I recognized Fane in there, which means Tom Marilyn knew Fane. That's kind of crazy, and it, and it kind of makes you wonder again, like, were we not supposed to trust Tom at the beginning? I mean, Fane was kind of a jerk, and then, and then Tom claims personal knowledge, but then Tom like clears everything up immediately by switching to kind of scorn. When he talks about Fane, he's like, Fane was always the sort to carry bad news quickly, and the worse, the faster. There's more raven in him than man. More raven in him than man. Tom is already predicting that he's a white cloak. I mean, <laughs> white cloak. There are many white cloak dark friends, but he's already he's already claiming, you know, he's he's making that connection between Pod on Fane being a dark friend. Oh God, I'm I'm already doing horrible. Uh, but I love that a lot of things are actually foreshadowed in this chapter that happens throughout this book, and it's kind of crazy. So yeah, Pod on Fane is more Raven than Man, uh, and. Nynaeve is a woman child who should be dating rather than being wisdom is what Tom says and I'm glad as well as Rand and Matt and Perrin all kind of whistle and go holy shit everybody's glad that Nynaeve never hears this this is horrible Tom would be in so much trouble uh, and he turns to Egwene uh, and he's like oh you're really pretty will you be my assistant at, when I perform and that for some reason makes like Perrin and Matt kind of giggle and scoff and grin and and Egwene turns and glares at Rand what did Rand do Rand didn't smile he even admits he's like I have no idea why she's mad uh, then Tom gives his name because they keep calling him uh, Tom, uh, Master Gleeman uh, you know, and he's like, uh, no, my name is Tom Marilyn, and he straight up, he straight up says it, guys. This is, like, one of the first thing he says to the group. He's like, once a court bard, I have risen to the exalted rank of Master Gleeman, but Tom Marilyn is still my name. He straight up says he was a court bard, and, like, wh why? Is this Taviran stuff? Is Rand and Matt and Perrin already making him uh, say crap he didn't expect to say? Why does he introduce himself as a court bard, once a court bard? That is crazy. So Matt asks him, uh, the Gleeman, uh, if he knew anything about the situation Padon Fane brought about. The dragon, Gildon. And I love how, even though he had just talked about Fane bringing bad news quickly... Uh, the Gildon and the dragon thing with Loghain is already old news. Uh, which 
is interesting. I guess, you know, we always learn that news kind of sometimes can outpace people traveling on horseback. And the Two Rivers is in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, old news, and Tom doesn't really have any interest in talking about it. Uh, he makes a point of not knowing about anything about Aes Sedai, much safer that way. Another foreshadowing. Because uh, the boys are uh, scared that, I don't, well, there goes, there, there goes my phone. That's nice. Uh, I hope this recording doesn't get uh, interrupted too much. I'm stumbling over my words still because I'm still unused to talking in a microphone. It makes me a little nervous, but I, I love talking about this. This is so fun. So I, I do promise I'll get better in the future, guys, as time goes on. Uh, yeah, so Tom's, uh, the boys are curious because they're like, maybe I should I will come. Maybe this will happen. Maybe people will come through. The exact thing we learn about later, which is why the uh, village council brought Fane away in the first place. That deterrent, which is cool. We get a call back to that. But yeah, Tom's like, I don't know anything about Aes Sedai. I don't want to know anything about Aes Sedai. I brought that up, what, four or five times now? Uh, and then we get another cool, cool quote from Tom. In wars, boy, fools kill other fools for foolish causes. I am here for my art. <laughs> he keeps calling it that, his art, which I, I definitely suppose it is. He is a performer, um, which is then he gets to uh, analyzing the boys. And he's like, well, Rand, uh, you, he, what's your name, lad? Well, he's Rand. Um, he's like, you're, you're a very broad-shouldered young man, and you're as tall as an Aielman. First mention of Rand being a, uh, compared to an Aiel in Chapter 4 of the first book. Um, he tells Perrin he's almost the size of an Ogier, which we know is an exaggeration. Uh, because I think later, uh, o Loyal, not a yet a full-grown Ogier, is described as that much taller than Rand as, no, no, that much taller than a Trollic than a Trollic is to Rand. So Loyal's got to be at least 15 feet tall. So he's at, he's at least twice as tall as Perrin. But I think he's, you know, more talking about how Perrin is both kind of tall and broad. Uh, and then that's when Perrin kind of makes a fool out of himself here, and it's it's so it's it's so sad. Uh, he's like, uh, uh, "My name is Perrin Abara, Master Gleeman, and uh, <laughs> not nearly as tall as an Ogier. Uh, maybe if I stood on my shoulders, I'm not one of those made-up creatures from your stories." Oh, oh, buddy, <laughs> you'll be returning to this town. With an Ogier. Uh, <laughs> Trollocs and Ogier, all stories, huh? Oh, buddy. Uh, this is where Tom kind of starts making fun of him. I think it's funny. Uh, you know, he's not really trying to be mean, but he's kind of like, oh, oh, made-up creatures from my stories, are they? You have gone so far, so well-traveled for young men your age. And they're kind of like, you know, kind of flushing, and they're like, well, we've been, we've been farther than, like, anybody in the district, which is true. They've gone to the marshes. They've gone to the mountains of mist. They have done things that no one else has. Um, which is good. They're like, what's the point of all this? Why are you Why are you comparing to this stuff? Why are you bringing up how big we are? What's the point anyways? You know, what's the point? And he's like, I'll tell you the point. You know, none of you will be able to pick me up later at my performance. It's, it's a weird thing he brings up. I guess it's kind of cool. Uh, it actually reminds me from a scene in a martial arts anime I liked, uh, Kenichi the Midas Disciple. 
um, where the uh, uh, one of the martial arts masters is trying to be lifted up by this really big guy, but he's got his toes kind of clamped around a uh, uh, drain cover, and it's keeping him from moving. Uh, but So that's the only thing I can think of, is that Tom's got really good grip, and maybe his feet, and he's going to catch something, and he's going to hold on, and they're not going to be able to lift him up. I don't know. Maybe he's going to wear weights. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I find it interesting because there are things we never got to see from Tom. Uh, we get to hear about what he's going to do, but we only get, like, really get bits and pieces of him telling stories over the time. So uh, that's when we get him like realizing there's a crowd forming up. And, of course, Tom loves his crowds. So he straight up somersaults onto this like rock or ledge. I don't remember what it is. Table. He somersaults onto something. And he starts juggling. And everyone's delighted about it. This is where, uh, around here is where my clip comes in for the beginning of this chapter. Uh, so I won't cover all the stories he did. Uh, I, I didn't write them all down. There are many stories he actually talks about that if you really look into it, you can find correlations with our history. Kind of part of the running gag that our age might be, you know, an age long lost or an age yet to come for the Wheel of Time. So, uh, if you want to bring up any of those stories, put them down in the comments or something like that. That would be really cool. I, I just, I, I didn't actually have the time. Uh, taking my notes took enough time, and I, I'm already running late. Uh, he's talking about all the stories he has, and he brings up specifically Green Man, Warders and Trollocs, and the Aiel. All of things which are introduced and mentioned in this book, which I find really interesting. The Aiel don't spend a lot of time in person in this book, but we do get the story from the traveling folk about the Eye of the World being blinded, if you remember. So we do get introductions. The Green Man, Warders and Trollocs, and the Aiel. These are all major, major... I'm so sorry, everybody. I had to make a cut and edit here. Uh, there was a UPS guy at the door uh, with a t-shirt. Uh, from Amazon or something, and uh, the dogs went off, the doorbell went off. I mean, it, it there, you couldn't even hear me for a second in the <laughs> in the uh, recording. So, yeah, the Warders and Trollocs, the Green Man, and the Aiel. These are all huge plot points for the Eye of the World, and that is just so cool that it's shoehorned right here. I, I just. I absolutely love it. So this is at the point, again, where we start getting the, why are Rand and Egwene a thing? Like, they're awful to each other whenever they're in, like, we might be a couple format. I think if they were just two people in the two rivers that, that you know, liked or respected each other, that would be one thing. But, like, they constantly keep getting in fights over nothing. So, uh, it's just... Egwene starts calling for adventure stories instead of the usual ones she likes, which are funny stories and uh, stories about clever women outsmarting everyone else. And Rand thinks it's a burr under his shirt. That's what he calls it. He thinks she's trying to upset him. And that's the only reason she's asking about these stories. Now, knowing what I do about Egwene, it's probably Egwene's frustrated at Rand for thinking that her wanting to have anything outside the two rivers is a fairy tale. So, 
she might be calling for these stories a little bit obstinately, but at the same time, whenever Egwene does something, anything, she puts her all into it. So yeah, you don't think I'm going to leave the two rivers? Maybe I will t leave the two rivers. Hey, Gleeman, tell me stories about adventure. You know, it it's the fact that they immediately take offense at each other for everything, and it keeps blowing it up, and it keeps causing more problems and frustrations. It's, it's, it's irritating. However, this does spawn an interesting comment from Tom. He's like, yes, old stories those. Some say stories older than the Age of Legends. I have all stories from all ages. He has tales of ages when men ruled the heavens and the stars, which, uh, going along with something Mogidian says to Nynaeve in what book four or five, um, she says that they've traveled to the stars, so maybe they're talking about literally intergalactic travel. That's fascinating. Um, ages where men roamed the, roamed the world with animals. Uh, kind of like wolf brothers, like parents, so maybe there were more of them then. Uh, ages ended by fire raining from the skies, so maybe some kind of nuclear war. And ages doomed by snow and ice covering the land and sea. So, like, uh, ice ages? I mean, all of that is interesting. All of that is fascinating. I love this chapter. Tom Marilyn is the best. So this is where Tom Marilyn starts ending his spiel. Uh, but that's only because he starts talking about things he realizes in a second he shouldn't have. He keeps going. He claims to have stories from the end of the Age of Legends, of the dragon trying to free the Dark One, of the Age of Madness, when Aes Sedai shattered the world. He had stories from the Trolloc Wars and the Wars of the Hundred Years, and then all of a sudden he stops juggling, like he had been at his peak. You know, this actually, in my opinion, might be Tom's favorite story favorite thing about being a gleeman in these small villages. He can talk like shit about Aes Sedai. He can tell all these stories that are bad about the Aes Sedai, seeing as we know he has a big problem with them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he suddenly freezes because he sees Moraine and land. Uh, and he's like, uh, oh, oh, holy shit, that's, oh, that's totally an Aes Sedai. That's totally an Aes Sedai. <gasps> Uh, hello, my lady, and he kind of bows, and he's like, uh, my apologies if I have any offended her in any way. And Moraine waves him off. She's like, I'm not offended. There was nothing that offended me. Uh, <laughs> it feels like they're having a little chat with Dace Demar. It really does. The great game, doesn't it? Really look into it. And they're like, uh, we're just strangers far away from home. We have to be careful. Don't screw with me. That's like the underlining of all of what she's saying. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Tom is freaking out. Rand wonders, this is where Rand looks really dumb. Rand wonders what a sort of entertainment a lady might expect in cities like Berlon or Camelon. Uh, he put Berlon and Camelon in the same, um, oh, Rand. Oh, they're going to feel so dumb when they go to Berlon, but that's going to be the biggest thing they've ever seen. So they're going to go to, from Berlon and then hit Camelin, and they're all going to feel even worse. Oh, these country yokels with hay in their hair. Oh, these poor kids. They really think they know the world, and they're very practical, and, and they're very smart in, in many ways, but they're so ignorant of the wide world, and it, it, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, and it's, 
It's arrogance and ignorance brought about by their own meaning. Uh, meaning? Am I even speaking proper words anymore, people? Rand says earlier when Egwene is wanting the adventure stories that, like, can't she understand the difference between dreams and reality? Can't she understand that the outside world is no place for two rivers, folks? They want this seclusion. They want to be separate from the outside of this world. But when they go out there, they just feel so stupid and they look so stupid. Oh, God. Uh, I need to go on to this, go on to my notes and figure out what I'm talking about next before I talk on forever about stuff that does not matter. Uh, yeah, Morin's like, some stories I like, some I do not. <laughs> Make sure you tell the right ones, Gleeman. You know, that part's unsaid. But Days Day Mar and those eyes and Moraine is awesome. I just, I, I yeah. <laughs> you just feel like they're having unspoken conversations since they're both masters of the great game. Yeah, Tom, like, super low bowed. Oh, my lady, there'll be no problems at all. All my stories will please. So, yeah, he's not going to be telling his favorite stories now. <laughs> uh, it's around this time that Moraine walks away. And uh, Tom is ignoring all the villagers, all the, the Emmons fielders. They're all, they're all calling for juggling and tricks and stories and songs. And Tom is just ignoring all of them as he stares after Moraine and Lan. And this is where the village council exits with Nynaeve. Um, no Fane. Fane's obviously enjoying his warm mold spice wine. I hate Fane. He should not be enjoying anything in the two rivers. <sighs> so yeah, yeah. Tom exits going straight to the inn. Uh, we don't see Tom again, I don't think, until Rand comes back. And uh, <laughs> we learn as Rand approaches the village council that uh, Bran and Nynaeve are arguing, and it really sounds like Nynaeve's trying to get Moraine kicked out of town. But why? Why is she arguing with Bran about letting Moraine and Lan stay in town? Is it really just because Moraine called her that child just once? Is that really what this is about, Nynaeve? It's just so... I don't know. Maybe she consents the power in Moraine but doesn't know what it is, you know? And she just feels something about her that's dangerous. Maybe she's just feeling competitive. Uh, maybe she's feeling petty. Maybe she already thinks Lan is gorgeous and <laughs> what's the temptation gone? I don't know. Uh, but I think it's very funny. Uh, Nynaeve just kind of like harumps and leaves now that she knows everything is fine, you know, since Bran's not listening to her about Moraine. And uh, Egwene ditches the boys to immediately follow Nynaeve. Uh, and then Sen comes out complaining about Nynaeve again. He's talking some bull crap about how she needs a husband and proper respect for the council. And, oh, oh, Bran rounds on him. He's tired of this complaining bullshit. You know, he's done with it. And then he just goes racist. He didn't have to call Sen Bui a black-veiled Aiel, okay? He's like, stop acting like a black-veiled Aiel. And that is not language that is needed. Okay? Things are hurtful. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh, I just think it's funny that in book four, Bran's going to be welcoming Gaul, Bane, and Chiad. I <laughs> He's not going to be having problems with Black-Failed Aiel then, is he? Uh, the village council all leave and go about their own ways. 
interestingly enough, with Harl Lujan leaving with Sen Bui, because apparently uh, Harl Lujan can always talk Sen Bui down when he's being his most stubborn. I, I don't know, maybe the frail old man's too scared of screaming too much at a <laughs> at the giant blacksmith. I don't know. So Matt, Rand, and Perrin finally reach Tam, and they start questioning him about what they're going to do about Thane's news. What's going on? What is going on? And Tam says, not much. We, we, really, we, we really don't have anything to worry about. Uh, the Two Rivers is very isolated and protected. You got the uh, Mountains of Mist on one side. You got the White River on another. Then you got the Forest of Shadows. There's one way into the Two Rivers, and it doesn't really intersect much with what, where this war is taking place. So the only thing you might have to worry about is some refugees. Uh, some running away from the chaos, and some trying to take advantage of it. And Tam says they have to be ready to help the first and send the second packing. Uh, and the boys definitely want to join the watch. They think this is going to be very interesting. But Tam says it's time to head home, and Rand's actually a little kind of upset at this. He's like, we, we, what do you mean we're going to go home? I thought, I thought we were staying for winter night, and then there's Beltine... And Tam's just like, nah, we're brooking no nonsense today. We're going home. We'll be back tomorrow. No arguments. I'll give you five minutes to hang out with your buddies. And then you got to meet me with Bella and we're leaving. So Tam walks off. Rand's a little disappointed. But the three boys are kind of excited about joining the watch. And uh, they're a little too excited. Matt especially. Parent, no, Parent's not really caring either way, I guess. He'll do it because it's something different. Uh, Matt is excited, and Rand's actually kind of peevish. Like, Matt's like, yeah, this is going to be great. And Rand's like, oh, yeah, except the Black Rider is out there. He's being really sassy about it. And he's making Matt feel guilty. Oh, I, uh, I forgot about him. Oh, yeah, they're going to go out and find the Black Rider, because that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That kind of seems what's going on. They're kind of going to find him, but they're scared to find him. It, it's weird. Um, so they decide that they need to bring him up to Bran Alvear. But they're worried they won't be believed. And Matt's saying, we got to go do this now. And Perrin's like, no, no, we're going to wait till tomorrow. Because, to be honest, he doesn't say this, but Matt's credibility is nothing. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we need more eyewitnesses. And Matt's a little bit embarrassed and kind of angry about it. And Rand's a little bit like, no, maybe we should. Uh, but then he's, he kind of gets the idea. Yeah, it would be good to have... Half the village seeing this guy, confirming he's real. You know, they're younger. They're, they're 1920, but they're not our 1920. You know, they might have a better work ethic than us technically, but they have less social skills. They have less worldly knowledge. They have less logic. They're allowed to be kids more, just kids that worked. I don't know. I, I might be not explaining it well. I'm just saying they're ready and... Rand returns to his father. <laughs> He's a little bit upset, but they're they're heading home. And he takes a moment and kind of guesses who each horse belongs to. He's like, well, there's a giant black stallion that looks dangerous and roguish that must belong to Lan. There's this white mare that's gorgeous and has this swift, beautiful, stiff to the step, uh, swift step that obviously belongs to Moraine. And there's this lanky gelding that... 
lanky black brown gelding that looks like he could trot on much longer than you'd expect. And that fit Tom Marilyn perfectly. <laughs> is he calling Tom old or what? Like, is it, like, what does he say? Like, wow, he looks like he can't really do it. But wow, I, I don't, I don't, it was, it was weird. It was like, well, this horse is amazing. This horse is amazing. This horse is all right. Yeah, that's probably Tom's horse. <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest, there's not many strangers horses, so it's probably easy to check out. But it just, <laughs> I'm looking for any offense to Tom Maryland so I can immediately defend him. I don't know. We have the same name. I'm an aspiring storyteller. He's a master storyteller. So he's better than me in every way. <laughs> Anyways, we are at the final bit of the chapter. Uh, everybody's heading home. Everybody's separated. And Rand is leaving the village with his father, knocking an arrow as they leave the final houses. And he's really, really nervous about the Black Rider. And he questions his father about talking to Thane. And this is what we get the earlier stuff of, you know, how all the boys were kind of overreacting and trying to get any information they could. Uh, that's what Tam says. People are funny. You never know how they're going to react. He first brings up how Luhan is afraid of blood. And that, you know... But he's so big and strong, nobody would expect this. And Rand's just like, yeah, yeah, get along with your story, Dad. Everybody knows Master Luhan can't stand butchering being done, and nobody but the Congers and Coplins take any heed of it. Like, just, what are, you, what are you getting to? Which I found funny. It's like, nobody gives uh, Harl Luhan crap for being afraid of blood, and it has nothing to do with his size, I don't think. Uh, it's just, you know, if you work hard in the two rivers, people seem to like you. If you complain or play too many tricks... You're in the same boat as the Congers, Coplins, and Matt. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, well, the point is, is you can never tell how people are going to react. Two Rivers folk are strong and hardy. If their storms blow through their crops, if their crops don't grow, if the predators come down and eat our sheep, we'll start over without any problems. But put the idea of war in our head and give you too much time to think, and you might start thinking that Gildon's not that far from the Forest of Shadows, regardless of the fact that most people won't come through the Forest of Shadows. It's nearby. War, violence, none of that is common here, and it can get in people's heads. So by seeing the Council bring up all the Aes Sedai and Dragon and Fear first, and then quickly take Fane away and handle it, and come out with their own decision, they're able to set everyone's minds at ease because they were elected for that very reason. That people can expect them to have their head on their shoulders. Then he makes this little joke of, well, uh, that includes Whit Conger and Billy, Billy, uh, <laughs> not Billy. That includes Wit and Sen, so that doesn't say much about the rest of us. Which was a funny little quip. But I'd like to bring up that most of the uh, Westlands are monarchies, and the Two Rivers is a democracy. Ha-ha! <laughs> and that's kind of cool. Uh, so, they're heading home. I am rambling way too much in this one. <laughs> Tam asked who else other than Perrin saw the Dark Rider. And this takes him by surprise. He's like, whoa, you believe me? I gotta immediately go back. <laughs> Perrin lands just... Perrin and then Land. No, I gotta get these names right. What is wrong? I think I'm trying to talk too quick and get all my thoughts out, and then I tangle my words. 
Tam says, like, hold on, lad, hold on. There's a reason I didn't talk about this until we after we left town, you little dumbass. Uh, <laughs> he's like, yes, a lot of people heard about it. Uh, they're Daniel, I can't remember their names. There was at least two to three other boys who had seen it. All, all other than Matt were solid lads that don't cause trouble. <laughs> so the only person that doesn't really believe something's going on is Sen Bui. So apparently everyone uh, older than 16 that can be trusted will be on the lookout for this stranger. Because even if he is some sort of refugee, even if he doesn't mean anyone any trouble, um, scared people, no excuse. So the watch is going to get formed, the towns are going to get together, and we're going to look around. And uh, everybody's pretty excited about that. And Rand felt much better. He felt like the entire village was walking behind him. I mean, he was terrified when he left town. Uh, but no, everybody's aware and he feels good that the Dark Rider, no matter what he does, could never stand against the village united together. And that's both a happy thought and a sad thought. <laughs> because in one end, the Two Rivers is not going to be ready for tonight. They're just not. They're going to be taken by surprise, and it's going to be awful. But there's going to be, I don't think, any casualties. I guess we'll have to see. I think a, a bunch of people got hurt, but I don't think anyone died. Um, but the second time Trollocs come to the Two Rivers, they'll handle it. And way, way, way more than one merger. So that was the end of the chapter, and that was awesome. And with that, we conclude our first week of Gleeman Radio, the Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. We're going to be doing these Monday through Friday as long as I can keep it up. There might be a few times, guys, where I fall behind for a day or something, or an emergency might happen, and I might not be able to get to it. However, I am going to try to record a little bit ahead, and maintain this because to be completely honest I am having a blast and I hope that comes through on the podcast I hope you are enjoying it uh, so as always I guess with this first week I'm going to end this video or audio <laughs> with a request um, if you are into drawing and into art because I can't draw a stick figure uh, without people laughing at it uh, draw something of the Wheel of Time. I don't think there's enough Wheel of Time fan art in this world. And if you draw me something from the Wheel of Time, I will show it in one of these videos, and I will call you out for being awesome, and I just think that would be a cool thing to do. Uh, do it if you want. Do it. Don't if you don't. It, it, really, it really doesn't matter. I just want to put it out there and see if people respond. Uh, the same with my spoiler intro. If you guys want to impersonate what you think any character in this series uh, sounds like, uh, record that as a spoiler intro for Gleeman Radio and send it to me at gleemanradio.com. Uh, <laughs> I, never, I never do this right. Gleemanradio at gmail.com. Uh, send it to me there. And I would love to put it up as my intro if you'd like to do that. I think it would be fun. Just make sure you don't make me guess who you were recording. It would be embarrassing for everybody. Um, 
you might be able to pull it off in your dialogue and that would be cool but make sure I know for a fact so I can give you all the credit you guys deserve okay so take care now peace out I'm done the next one's on Monday <laughs>